with me this morning. Turn to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Please pray for Pastor. I need him desperately. This has been one of the busiest weeks I think I've ever had. Uh, on top of everything else we had going on this week, I had to write three lessons, three messages. And that's, that's uh, you know, I, I have so much respect for pastors because that is so much work. There is so much work goes into preparing sermons and messages. And uh, I don't know how he does it every week. But praise the Lord for him and pray that he returns quickly. <laughs> he and Brother Moline are taking a trip to the Holy Land. And I told him if he doesn't return... I'm going to get him. <laughs> so you uh, be sure and pray that he returns. Psalm 37, let's stand together as we read verses 1 through 8 of Psalm 37. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 1, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise your holy name. Lord, we stand before you today, the almighty creator God, and we are humbled in your sight. We're humbled, Lord, that you would love us and that you would concern yourself with, with our well-being and our happiness. We just thank you and praise you so much. Thank you for all that have come today. I pray the Holy Spirit would speak to us and would, would teach us today. I pray that their time would not be wasted as they sit here to hear the preaching of the Word of God. And I pray that you would be glorified in all that we do. And we thank you and we praise you for these things. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I would like everyone to uh, maybe reach into your pocket or your wallet and pull out either a bill or a coin. Uh, if everyone could take, take out either a bill or a coin. If you don't have a bill or a coin, you can borrow one from a neighbor. Ushers, this might be a good time to pass the plate. But if everyone will pull out a bill or a coin, on that bill or on that coin, on the back side, right above the the denomination of the bill, you will see four words. Those four words are, in God we trust. Now, a lot of the newer coins that are being minted do not have those words on them, but the older coins did. In God we trust. The motto, E pluribus unum, from many one, was approved for use on the Great Seal of the United States in 1782. It still appears on coins and currency and was widely considered the national motto de facto. However, by 1956, it had not been established so by legislation as the official national motto, 
and therefore in God we trust, was selected. Hence, the congressional record of 1956 reads, At the present time, the United States has no national motto. The committee deems it most appropriate that in God we trust be so designated as U.S. national motto. This, in fact, is what our nation was founded upon. It was founded upon trust and faith in almighty, sovereign God. I grow very weary today of those who have betrayed the principles of our founding fathers for political prowess. They chopped down our liberties, one by one, to gain votes. They sell our future generations' prosperity and security for their own present gains in the personal gains in the present. We are rapidly becoming a nation of rebels against God. We compromise our spiritual principles for personal advancement. And all of this we do in the face of a holy, righteous, and patient God. But be ye warned today, America, God's patience will not last forever. His wrath shall be poured out upon the children of perdition. Now this morning, I would like to borrow a question from the Apostle Peter as I launch off into this message. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 3. Everyone find 2 Peter chapter 3. And I'll begin reading at verse number 10. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved... What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? You see that question asked right at the end of verse number 11. What manner of persons ought ye to be? Considering, Peter says, considering that all that we see shall be destroyed. Considering that all that we seem to to live for, to amass wealth, to amass material things, and and to amass uh, political position or, or authority, all these things, Peter says, are going to be dissolved. Considering that, what manner of persons ought we to be? What should we do with our lives? Should we invest our lives in houses and lands? Should we invest our lives in cars and, 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 and things? Should we, should we invest our energy and our effort into gaining political position or, or power or authority? This life will end. Your life will end. Either in death or at the coming of the Lord. But your life as you know it right now, will end. That 4,000 plus square foot home 
will be the residence of a stranger. That $35,000 automobile will be driven by another person. Your 401k that you watch daily will be enjoyed by your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren to come. Life is going to end. And given this, what should be the focus of our life? The Lord tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Now if you still turn to Psalm chapter 37... Let's look there one more time. In this psalm, David gives us four admonitions in the Christian life. He tells us four things we ought to focus our life on. First this morning, number one, he tells us that we must trust the Lord. Look at Psalm 37 again, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily... Thou shalt be fed. Trust. Trust is a word that is very easily used, but very difficult to practice. We so easily say, I trust the Lord. If we polled the Christians in this room today and asked every one of us, Do you trust the Lord? Probably the majority of us would say yes. And and in our hearts, we, we really believe we do. But the question must be answered, do we really trust the Lord? Think about the pilgrims who settled this nation. They did not simply state that they trusted in God. They proved it. They put their entire beings into the hands of the Lord. They took their families and moved them halfway across the globe to a land they had no knowledge of, to dangers they were not aware of, to perils that to any rational man would seem irrational. Yet they did all of this with a trust in the Lord. What about us? What about 21st century believers? My experience in the ministry of the last 27 years tends to make me believe this. We're a generation of doubters. We talk a good game, but when it comes right down to it, our actions usually prove that we really do not trust the Lord enough to lay it all on the line. Think about the number of people today that put their faith and trust in things other than God. Men do fail to trust God, by the way. And not just unsaved men. But Christians as well fail to trust the Lord. Where do men fail to trust the Lord? Well, first, let me say this. Many men fail to trust the Lord for salvation. In Acts chapter 4, verses 
10 through 12, we read, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other name, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. These were the words of Stephen preceding his stoning. Stephen was the first martyr. And Stephen said, I stand here today by the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom ye crucified, who God raised from the dead. Men failed to trust the Lord for salvation. Now, rational men would presume that everyone would readily trust in Christ for eternal life. When I got saved in 1981, the first thing I did was, thought about was my father. And that Monday morning, as my father and I drove to work, in the car I told him, I said, Dad, I got saved yesterday. And he looked over at me with a look on his face and said, That's real nice, son. And I began to get really be burdened for my father's soul. And some, some weeks later, one evening, I told my wife, said, I, I have to go talk to mom and dad about this. So I took my New Testament with the little bit knowledge I had. I went to my parents' home. I sat in their home, and I opened my, my New Testament, and I began to witness to them, uh, giving them the gospel. My father looked over at me and said, close that book and get out of my house. My father. Now, rational men would presume that everyone would trust in Christ. The problem is that natural men are not rational. They are blind. And they are ignorant of God. In Romans chapter 10, First three verses, Paul writes, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Now look at verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Oh yes, my dear friends. Men do fail to trust the Lord for salvation. And in their ignorance, Paul says, they go about to establish their own righteousness. Have you ever wondered why there are so many religions? Why there are so many different faiths? That's because men are ignorant of, the, of God and they have gone about to establish their own righteousness and have failed to recognize the righteousness of God. Men do not trust the Lord for salvation. And if you're sitting here today and your faith is not in Jesus Christ and Him alone for eternal life, you can be saved even today. Come unto me, Jesus said, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. As I preached this morning, I know you hear my voice, but let me ask you this. Do you hear the voice of Christ in the preaching of the Word of God? It's not my voice that saves. It's the voice of Christ that draws the soul and regenerates the heart. Do you hear the Lord this morning? Are you trusting Christ for salvation? Well, there's a second thing, a second area in which men do not trust Christ, and that is for sanctification. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, we read, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? Are ye so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Now, I cannot forget those of us who are believers, who have placed our trust in Christ for our salvation, but then it stops there. It's almost as if we tell God, Okay, God, thank you for saving me, but I'll take it from here. I've heard the story of of the hitchhiker. I'm sure you've all heard that story. Man was hitchhiking with with a heavy burden. Heavy, heavy bag, and, and, and a driver, a passerby, stopped and told him to jump in the back of the truck and he could have a ride, and he sits in the back of the truck and he's still holding his bag. And the driver says, why don't you set that down? And he says, oh no, 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 you've given me a ride, that's more than enough, I'll carry this. And that's how we behave with the Lord. The Lord has saved us and then we, we want to hold all our problems in and take care of them ourselves. We fail to trust the Lord for sanctification. There are so many rules in churches today. Now, don't get me wrong. I do believe that as believers, we should live under higher moral expectations than we did before we were saved. But I'm afraid that in many of our movements in churches, the motivation to walk worthy of Christ has been lost in the translation. When someone lives their lives by a set of rules that they, oppose, that they apply to themselves, so that they will glorify God in their life, that is wonderful and great. But if someone lives by a set of rules with the belief that these rules will make them more godly or spiritual, or because they do them to impress people, or if they impose those rules upon others, then this is not the right motive for having rules. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, Paul says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. We cannot make ourselves holier by living up to certain standards. If that were true, then we would have been able to atone for our own sins by our behaviors. We must trust the Lord for our salvation. And we must trust the Lord for our sanctification. I am not made holy by the way I dress or the way I speak or the things I do or do not do. I am made holy by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and by His righteousness alone am I made holy in the sight of God. We must trust the Lord for salvation. We must trust the Lord for sanctification. And thirdly, We must trust the Lord for support. 
We must trust the Lord for support. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 30 through 34, the Lord states, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now I am not going to preach on giving this morning, but I will say that we, as God's children, should never doubt God's providence towards us. Consider the words of King David. In Psalm 37, verse 25, he states, I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. We must learn to trust God for our provisions. We must labor and do all that we can to provide for our family. Absolutely, we must not be lazy. The Bible says if a man does not work, he should not eat. We should labor as as hard as we can. We should be faithful employees, hardworking people, uh, diligent people. But in the end, it ultimately rests in the hands of God to provide for us, His children. Let it suffice for me to say that you can withhold your obedience in giving to God as soon as He withholds His providence for you. And may I state He'll never do that. So neither should we. We're to trust in the Lord. David says, trust in the Lord and do good. But secondly, he admonishes us this morning. And he says, we must delight in the Lord. We must delight in the Lord. Psalm 37 and verse 4, David states, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now, the most common translation of this verse is that we are to make our delight in the Lord, that we should find satisfaction and joy in His person, in His provision, and His preservation of we, His children. And certainly, we should be satisfied, and we should find pleasure in the Lord. We should not become entranced by the allurements of this world. In James 4 and verse 4, James writes, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And we should not become uh, entranced by the world. We should not indulge in the pleasures of sin for a season. I am of the belief that the Lord has provided everything I need concerning my personal satisfaction. I am of the belief that He has provided everything I need through the local church. There is nothing this world can give me that would be better than that which the Lord has already provided for me through the local church. I don't need to seek the world. I don't need to go to the world to seek friends. I have friends. I don't need to go to the, to the world to seek um, fellowship. We have fellowship. I don't need to go to the world for, to seek entertainment. Just hang around this building for a few hours and you'll be so entertained, you'll never need any more entertainment. 
My children don't need to participate in programs that aren't offered through the local church. My children never did either. I believe everything we need, God gives us right here. How many of you believe God does not meet all our needs? Raise your hand. How many of you think God does not meet all of my needs? Raise your hand. How many of you think I have to go to the world because God failed to meet a need I have right here? No. You see, our flesh wants things. So our flesh takes us into the world to satisfy itself. But the things you and I need, the Lord has provided for us through his local church. And I believe that. Now, that's my belief, by the way. If you don't believe that, you're entitled to your opinion. But today I'm preaching, so I'm going to preach my opinion. We must delight in the Lord. There's another obscure definition of delight that I want us to consider. This definition is obscure today because America is is so full of people who are self-absorbed that we rarely think of anything but our own satisfactions. But delight is also, when used as a verb, defined as to give pleasure to or be pleasing to. In other words, we are to be a delight unto the Lord. We are to be pleasing and bring joy unto Him. Now, this certainly was the testimony of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, we read, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Are we seeking to please the Lord in all that we do? Colossians chapter 1 Verses 9 through 10 tells us this. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Walking or living worthy of the Lord our God, this should be the desires of our heart. We should have a desire to to seek that our life is pleasing to the Lord. Not that the Lord pleases us, but that we please Him. David tells us that by this, we gain the desires of our heart. Obedience equals blessing. Disobedience equals chastisement. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 26 through 28, Moses writes this, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if ye obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if ye will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day, to go after other gods which ye have not known. Obedience equals blessing, blessing. disobedience equals chastisement. And we are to delight in the Lord. And that that word delight there is not used as a noun, it's used as a verb. And the, the verbal definition of delight is to give pleasure, not to receive pleasure. And we are admonished to live a life that is pleasing unto God. So we must trust in the Lord. We must delight in the Lord. Then thirdly, we must commit to the Lord. 
In verse 5 of Psalm 37, David writes, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Herein lays the greatest need in our churches across America today. Commitment. Now, commitment is the act of binding yourself to a course of action. For the past 25 years in America, our government schools have taught its pupils situational ethics. Students are taught that there is no absolute right or wrong. Right or wrong, they are taught, is relevant to the circumstances. For example, students today in our, in our governmental school systems are taught lying is not wrong if it gives you the opportunity to improve yourself or benefit your family. It's okay to lie if good comes out of it. Stealing is not wrong if it serves a better good. In other words, Robin Hood. Robbing from the rich to give to the poor. I wonder how much of that money never made it to the poor. Uh, you know, modern-day Robin Hoods, by the way, are politicians, if you didn't know that. They're robbing from the rich and the poor, and they're giving it to themselves. There is no commitment to truth. There is no commitment to right. Situational ethics says everything is relevant to the situation you're in. In other words, do whatever it takes, regardless of the consequences. I, I, I'm flabbergasted. There's a commercial on television I've seen here recently, and the guy goes through a bunch of things. Don't like your car? Get a new one. Don't like your job? Get a new one. Don't like your spouse? Get a new one. I'm serious, right on the TV. And that's the philosophy of our day. No more commitment. It doesn't matter that you stood at a at an altar before the Lord in a holy place and you stood and, and, and made a commitment, a vow to each other. It doesn't matter anymore. You know, they ought to make, I actually heard, this is actually true, there was one state about 15 years ago, I think I, I read this, there was one state who was trying to, trying to pass a law that made marriage licenses renewable every five years. So after five years, if you didn't want to be married anymore, you just let it expire and that's it. I'm not kidding you. That's, that was actually, someone actually tried to pass that law. Whatever happened to commitment? And let me tell you something. This lack of ethics and loyalty to truth has crept into men's commitments to God as well. Fewer and fewer Christians are willing to make commitments to the Lord and His work than ever before. There are two groups of people in most churches in America today. The first group are those who are willing to do anything that needs to be done. And the second group are those who are willing to let them do it. And we have fewer and fewer people making commitments to the Lord or His church anymore. Often I speak to our teens about being in Sunday school and church. But you know, it's hard to make them understand the importance of being in in, in Sunday school and church when their parents aren't in Sunday school and church. See, I, I'm not of the opinion you ought to send your kids to church. I'm of the opinion you ought to bring your kids to church. And by the way, nothing in their life is more important than church. Nothing. Their education is not more important than church. Nothing supersedes being in the house of God when the Word of God is taught and preached. Nothing. 
It's so hard. Let me say this. You can never expect your children to put any more effort into their Christian life than you do. You know, a lot of our teenagers, they like the people in this church. But you know what? When they become adults, they're not going to be any more faithful to church than their parents were. Because the people that are closest to their hearts are their parents. You have the greatest influence over your children. We have no more commitments in America today. Let me ask you a question. What does it take to keep you out of church? Now, I realize I'm preaching to the choir today. You're in church. But what does it take to keep you out of church? Let me ask you another question. Would that have kept Jesus from his work for you? Let me remind you, God withheld nothing from us. His commitment to us was complete. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 32, we read, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And his commitment to us, by the way, is without repentance, and he will not turn back. In 2 Corinthians 5, 19, we read to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, we read, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The Lord is faithful in his commitments to you and I. Are we faithful in our commitments to him? Today, make a commitment to God and then stand by it. Some of the men in our church need to step forward next time you see the pastor and say, Pastor, give me a job. I want you to give me a responsibility to the work of this church. I want to commit myself to serve the Lord. Oh, but I might lose overtime if I do that. Oh, well, you know, that might cost me a little bit of money. Oh, but watch out for the billy goats. You know, commitments are, are usually stopped by billy goats. They keep butting all over the place. I would serve the Lord, but I want to serve the Lord, but... And by the way, ladies, if your husband wants to serve the Lord, encourage him. You know how rare that is today? I know, I, I've, known, I've known men over the years that would serve the Lord, but their wife won't let them. She won't let them. If you have a, ladies, if you have a husband that wants to serve the Lord, kick him out the door. Encourage him. You've got a rare fruit there. And, and it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And God, God wants you to serve through him as well. We need commitment today. In our commitments, let us strive to conform to the image of God. So, David tells us, we must trust in the Lord. He tells us, we must delight in the Lord. He tells us, we must commit to the Lord. And then, lastly this morning, we must rest in the Lord. In verse 7 of Psalm 37, David writes this, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Rest in the Lord. Now, this addresses our anxiousness, our anxiety over the matters of life. 
In Psalm 46, verse 10, David tells us, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. You notice he says, be still. In other words, don't don't worry. Don't get anxious. And above everything, don't get in God's way. Just be still. If I've learned anything in the last 27 years of ministry, it is this. God is in control. Now, we think we know it all. I used to go to a barber back in Louisiana, and he had a a placard on his wall that read this. I wish I had these problems when I was a teenager and knew everything. Teenagers, not picking on you today, but you think you know it all, but you don't know anything. You barely know how to brush your teeth. We need to just be still. God is in control. The only times that I have had any real problems in my life is when I got in God's way. When I got ahead of Him. Now there are three important things we need to learn if we will be able to rest in God. Three things. First one is this. Be patient. Be patient. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Be patient. I know we, we have our own timeline. Now, Lord, I need this and I need it by 3 p.m. Friday. God, God has his own timeline. And things will be done according to his timeline, not ours. Be patient. Uh, so often, men quit just before they reap the victory. If they would have just held on a little bit longer, they would, they would have seen the victory, but they quit. They get, they get over-anxious, and they, got, they get ahead of God. So be patient. Secondly, be faithful. Be faithful. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, there are many things I cannot do. But there is one thing I can do. I can be faithful. I can be faithful. Listen, I do not want to be labeled as unfaithful by God. In Proverbs 25, 19, the, the, Solomon wrote, Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Any of you ever, dis, ever twisted your ankle? Any of you ever twisted your ankle? That ankle isn't very much good when it, while it's twisted, is it? You've got to hobble around on crutches. Any of you ever break a tooth? Yeah, that's no fun. You can't eat with a broken tooth, and that's very important to me, by the way. Eating is a very important thing. I can't eat when I have a broken tooth. I don't want to be labeled as unfaithful by God. I don't want, I don't want that. My hope and desire is that when I stand before the Lord, he'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's my hope and prayer. We need to to be faithful. We need to be patient. But then thirdly, if we're going to rest in God, we must learn to be diligent. Be diligent. John 9, 4, I must work 
the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Listen, God is the God of the day. Do not put off until tomorrow what you know to do today. Remember this. You know, there's a lot of Christians who say, I'm going to serve God tomorrow. A lot of Christians say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to pay off this debt, and then I'm, going to, then, then I'm going to adjust my schedule. I'm going to serve the Lord. Then I'm going to do it. No, you won't. If you won't serve God now, you won't serve him later. God is a God of now. Don't put it off. Do it. Just remember this. You might not have a tomorrow. Because Solomon in Proverbs 27.1 wrote this, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I might not have a tomorrow. I might not make it through today. So if I'm going to do something for the Lord, I better do it right now while I have the chance, because I might not have the chance. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. The night of death, the night of disappointment, the night of sin. There's a night coming upon all of us. And we better work now because when the night comes, we won't be able to work. Oh, let me tell you, friends. We must, we must be diligent in our labors. In God we trust. Can you say that today? Can you honestly stand and say, I trust the Lord? Can you honestly say, my life is a delight unto the Lord? Can we stand here today and can we say that we are resting in in our faith in the Lord? Oh, let me tell you, that is true happiness. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this day. Lord, we stand before you right now. We're so, Lord, we're just so amazed and so humbled by your love for us. And Holy Spirit of God, I pray you'd speak to our hearts now. If there's any of us here today who who need to learn to trust you more, trust you for, for salvation, if there are any here today who are lost, and need to trust you for salvation, I pray you would speak to their hearts. If we need to trust you for uh, our sanctification or for our our provision, I pray you'd, you'd help us. I pray you'd help us, Lord, to live our life in such a way that we are a delight unto you, that we are pleasing unto you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to make commitments today that you would, you would give us the courage to step forward and say, I will serve the Lord with my life. And then, Lord, help us today to rest in you. Give us the strength. Help us, Lord, as we go through our lives to, to be patient, to, to be faithful, and to be diligent. And in all these things, Lord, we'll, bring, we'll, we'll praise you and, and give all the glory and all the honor unto your name. Now, as we sing a couple of verses of this song, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do business in the hearts and minds of God's people. And we'll thank you for that. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.